Welcome to Breaking Green Ceilings, the podcast that amplifies the diverse voices of those who are committed to protecting and sustainably managing our natural environment. I'm your host, Sapna Mulki. Let's get started. This is our final conversation in season five. It's going to be in a two-part series because we reflected on so many amazing issues around spirituality, indigeneity, and youth activism. Thanks for sticking with us through these past weeks. I hope you have had a fulfilling experience listening to these stories and are invigorated about the change and impact we can make next year. I really think that these last two episodes would give you that boost if you don't feel it already. Today, we will be talking about Whale Child, a book written and illustrated by Indigenous authors, a Coast Salish-inspired story that introduces readers ages 7 to 12 to environmentalism with a message of awareness, hope, and action. We are going to be hearing from the authors of Whale Child, Keith and Shanoa Igawa, who are siblings and enrolled members of the Lummi Indian Nation and of Japanese heritage. Briefly about Keith, he is a graduate of the University of Washington's creative writing program and author of the novel Mad Child Running. Keith's extensive experience in the fields of child and family services and Indian education reform has provided him with both the inspiration and insight into the subject matter. Shanoa holds a BA in international business and Spanish from the University of Washington. In addition to being a writer, Shanoa is an activist for indigenous communities and the environment, a ceremonial leader, a medicine woman, singer, storyteller, and artist dedicated to bringing healing to our Mother Earth and to people of all origins. So without further ado, let's get into this conversation. I really hope you enjoy it as much as I did. All right. Well, thank you so much, Keith and Shanoa Igawa, for joining us on another episode of Breaking Green Ceilings. I'm really excited to be here to talk to you about your new book, The Whale Child, and just learn more about the journey that brought you to this point. So typically we start with our first question here, which is what role has nature played in your life? We can go in any order that we wish. So jump in. (laughs) Sounds good. I'll go ahead and start out. So nature has always played a very big role in my life as far back as I can remember. I would, no matter what was going on, where we were as a family, I would always seek out woods, creeks, ponds, etc. It could be just a patch of grass in the city. And I would be out there looking for creatures. I have a story when we lived in Germany on a military base, I think we were on the second or third floor and my mom was looking out the window and she saw me crouching in the grass down below, just perfectly still. And according to her, I think she said it was a good couple of hours that each time she looked, I hadn't moved. And then she kind of forgot about it. And then later that night at dinner, I asked if we had any cheese and she immediately put two and two together. And she said, what do you have? What did you catch? And uh, hidden outside the door by our shoes, a jar with a mouse in it. (laughs) But I remember seeing him go in the hole 
And so I crouched by the hole with the jar for, I guess, a couple of hours without moving until he came out and captured him. And then, of course, let him go. But that really sums up what I was like as a child. If there was somewhere to explore the environment, look for animals, that's what I was doing. Oh, I can imagine a little key. But just like crying. <laughs> yeah. I think I was four. Four. Yeah. That's really cute. Just to add to Keith's part there, our great grandma, when we would go visit her up at Lummi, she said, he's like the old people. You know, he has this patience and he can be out there just listening and feeling and waiting. And he would wait for the snakes and all the different creatures and just be out there in the grass and in the woods looking. And she would see that and say, oh yeah, there's a, I think an attention span Mm-hmm. That was more typical back in the old days. <laughs> now we have such a short, quick attention span. Right. But he was very, always very patient and very into what he was doing and able to listen and sit still. And so it was something pretty cool to see. <laughs> yeah. I mean, two hours crouched just waiting for the little mousy. I mean, yeah, that's dedication and patience. <laughs> And just real quick, so the story Chanel was telling, we would visit the reservation. I would actually bring cans of snakes home and turn them loose in our yard. We lived in suburbia, so it wasn't, we were in the country and they would stay. We had this growing population of snakes in our yard. Oh, what kind of snakes were they? I'm assuming just like grass snakes. Just little garter snakes, yeah. yeah. Okay. Wow. You had like created a whole little like ecosystem in your backyard, I can imagine. Tried to. Tried to. Chanel, what about you? What role has nature played? Being outside, I especially in these days, I feel like sanity lives in nature. Mm. I feel like sometimes the chaos of human existence is there's always this level of stress and anxiety and rushing and pushing. But I feel like when I go out in nature, everything just makes sense. And I like taking trips by myself and going out and watching birds. I really love birds and going out and just being out there with them and how they move. Like early in the morning, they'll all be on the wing and they'll be arriving to their location before sunrise. Mm. And they move with the sunrise and the sunset. And so I go out there and I like to do photography too and just be out there with them and feel and hear the sound of them and just see the colors of the rising sun and the setting sun and the changes throughout the day. And when I'm out there, I don't think of anything else. And it, there's just a peace that yeah. and a happiness. Like there's a lot of joy in nature. And yesterday I was just in the garden and a friend of mine has a community garden we've all been working on. And I was watering the garden and just marveling at how much the earth is willing to give us and how much all these vegetables were just flourishing and the flowers, there were flowers and just all kinds of food growing there. And with that love and that care, the garden just grows. And then I was thinking, and even without our love and care, the earth is always giving. And so just, I think, especially as I get older, I've been noticing just how much I want to give back to the earth and recognize the the way that it's always holding that hope and that love, that care and the reciprocity that it's providing so that we can live and breathe and drink water and you know all the sustenance that it provides. 
and that we're a part of it. We're not something separate. And right. so nature makes me realize that when things might seem chaotic and hopeless on the human realm, <laughs> that nature is holding the balance and holding yeah. things for us. And if we just move back toward nature, we can shift things back to where they need to be. Yeah. There's just so much of what you said that reflects or resonates with the whale child. I feel like a lot of those principles and the values are in this book. So I think we're in a good segue to talk about the book. One thing though, before we do is I realized that, and this is your choice as well, is I create space for your heritage. And you mentioned that you all would visit the Lummi Reservation. Tell us a little bit about your experiences with your tribe, with the reservation, and how that may have influenced even your love and respect for nature. Yeah, so I'll go ahead and start off and show you can add to it. Well, my memories start actually in Germany. And then when we moved back um, to the U.S., I think I was seven. And as far back as I can remember to that time, we regularly went up to the reservation to visit relatives. And as Sapna said, it's the Lummi Indian Nation is the tribe where we're enrolled. But we also have Sklalem Heritage, which is a tribe in a, it's in a place called Jamestown on the Washington Peninsula. We would go up there to visit our great-grandmother. And one of the most prevalent memories, aside from the searching for wildlife that I mentioned, is she would tell us the old stories and we would request them every time and hear them over and over and just love them. And, and periodically she would have a new story. And they weren't always like traditional old stories that she'd heard. She yeah. would also tell us stories about her life as a Native person. Because remember, she was born, and Sean, you can correct me, but it would have been around 1900, the late 1800s. 1886. Okay, yeah. yeah. So it was just amazing to hear her speak. And she was lucid up until she passed away. I think it was 92, Shanoa. She was uh, 96 when she 96. passed. 96. Wow. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, and we had so many aunts and uncles and cousins there that, you know, we would also see them during those times. So it was very formative. And unfortunately for me, after our dad passed away, I've only been there a couple of times and that's going on 20 years ago. Not sure if there's a connection to that, I suppose, subliminally there may be, but um, right. I mean, subconsciously there may be, but yeah, Chanel, I'm sure you have stuff to add as well. I think that was always a part of my growing up because I was highly aware of our background. So on our father's side, we're Lummi, Sklalem, Hawaiian and Japanese. And on my mom's side, we are Norwegian, Swedish, English, and Scottish. And I can remember always feeling like this child that really didn't have a proper place because I wasn't fully this, I wasn't fully that. And we would participate in all the different communities with our family up at Lummi. But I always felt a little bit like, okay, am I really a part of this? And it was later in life that I saw, I used to introduce myself and say all my lineages and say, I'm just all mixed up. And there was this one person who met me and said, don't ever say that. He said, every single one of those is a powerful lineage of people mm -hmm. and ancestors who carry specific skills and traits and wisdom. And you should feel good that you carry all of that. And so it was at that point in my young adulthood that I stopped introducing myself that way. 
And I just remember, as Keith was saying, the stories that our great grandma would tell us, there was a sadness in me because I thought, oh, those days are gone. And now we're living in this new world that's, you know, none of those stories are being carried in and our people are carrying them forward. By the way, it's not being forgotten. It's there's a resurgence, a renaissance of traditional knowledge and stories and culture and heritage. But I remember feeling sad that it was somehow disappearing. And so even the first book that we wrote was kind of thinking about that, you know, this young child that was living with her great grandmother, but going to school and not being recognized for the wisdom that she carried from her grandmother and trying to straddle the gap between the old world and the old way of understanding versus this new modern world that is not anchored or grounded in very much spiritual context or the recognition that we are spiritual beings living a life in a human body and that we have the wisdom of our ancestors that has carried for thousands and thousands of years through the oral tradition, through the oral stories, through the teachings. And so I think it's very much as a part of everything in my life and the story that we wrote, again, The Whale Child, and honoring the memory and realizing that these things are not gone, that we can remember them at any time. And if we breathe that life back into them, they're there waiting for us. And so I've been able to see that through being a traditional wisdom keeper in the ways that I've been working as an adult and recognizing that all of the nature is alive and the spirit of the stories are not just legends and myths from a long time ago. They are living, breathing, alive parts of this world that we live in. Yeah, yeah. That's so powerful. And, you know, Keith, you mentioned even though you haven't, like, y'all haven't interacted with the Lummi, like, side of yourselves as you did when you were kids, I feel like you still carry that memory and that knowledge with you, even as adults, which is in this book, I feel. So in a sense, nothing is lost, even though the interactions, like you were saying, Chanel, have changed. So with that, then give us a brief overview of The Whale Child, how it came to being, and just, uh, I don't want to say the main points, but like the main values, rather, that you are trying to convey to the reader. Sure. So just a story overview. So the whale child is shiny. That's his name. And so after he's born, his mother takes him on their travels throughout the world's oceans. And along the way, she teaches him about the places. She teaches him how to survive and what he needs to do to survive. But on those journeys, she also begins to show him the negative things, the damage, the environmental damage that's happening to their world, and not just their world in the ocean, but the environment at large because of the actions of humans. And so during all these travels and all these teachings, the spirit of the water is aware of them, is watching them. And because of Chinese mind and heart and spirit, the spirit of the water, the spirit of the ocean chooses him to become a human boy for a short visit on land. And the purpose of that is to meet with his human sister, a little girl named Alex, who's Coast Salish and lives on lives in a village by the ocean. And so his task is to journey, take Alex on a journey of her homeland and show her the negative things that are happening to the environment because of people. And as I mentioned, that fundamentally... It focuses on water, 
but you know everything is connected environmentally. So he's teaching her about things that are happening on land and how they connect to the ocean and vice versa, particularly because of humans and climate change, for example, the over-harvesting yeah. of resources, you know, species diminishing. And so as he shows her these difficult things, he also imparts hope, things that she can do in her life to make positive change. But as a really intelligent child, she also begins to draw her own conclusions about ways she can make positive changes. Yeah. And she resolves to become a teacher and share what she learns with other kids to make sure people understand what's happening and begin to work together towards positive change. And one thing that's really significant is, as we've kind of touched on already, the fact that she's co-salish, her culture is inextricably linked to environmental stewardship to living in a way that ensures the longevity of the planet, you know, not taking more than you need, ensuring that each resource will be able to rejuvenate year after year. But as a modern person, Alex is unaware of some of these things. She's forgotten some of them. So it becomes a time for remembering. So this journey with Shiny begins to awaken this cultural memory in her as well. Yeah. Shiny, you want to add anything to that? Yeah, just the memory. I feel like the way we open the story, we acknowledge that this child has this special character. And in our teachings, we always say every child has a special character. Every child has a special gift. And in order for society as a whole or for our community, our family to be whole and to be fully expressed, each person needs to contribute their unique genius or their unique gift that they came to bring to the whole. And so just recognizing that in that character, the whale child and remembering when our little nephew was small and looking into the eyes of him or of any child and you look into the depth of a newborn and you look into their eyes and you see deep, there's a deep, deep place in there (laughs) that they're connected to when they come into this world. And so there is this remembering and forgetting that we go through when we come to this earth, this earthly plane. I feel like it's easy to forget. There's a lot that we need to, and there's cycles that we go through to remember and to forget. And so as Keith was saying, this little girl, Alex, is being taught to remember what's already inside of her, just as Shiny is remembering what's already inside of him. Neither one of them came as an empty slate to this life. We don't come that way. And so going on traveling through different means, through the uh, oceans, through the forests, through the mountains, and being able to travel in different ways also through the dream time and being able to share experiences through maybe levels of heightened awareness and telepathy as they have with the little duck bufflehead. (laughs) And so we usually talk about that too. The nature is coming together to say, okay, all of nature needs to help people wake up too. Right. So Shiny is being assisted by nature, by the ocean, by this little duck that is his traveling companion and helps guide the way. And all of nature understands the critical moment we're in, in our human history. And they're all coming together with these children who children typically hold the hope in yeah. our family. It's our children who bring us hope and keep us strong so that we can do right by them. And so all of them 
coming together in order to make the necessary changes and remember the teachings that they were given about how we are interconnected and interdependent and that we depend upon one another for survival and for not just survival, but for happiness and health and joy. And so these are the things that the story also contains and they come from our native wisdom, the native teachings about the living spirit of the water, that all of these things in in the elements, in the nature, they're alive. They're not unconscious, unaware. They have an intelligence and they hold a memory and they've been sustaining us in a way that has been so generous and non-judgmental. It's our humanness that causes us to judge, but you don't see nature saying, okay, I'm going to give water to this person and not to that person because I right. like this person better. So just the, the character of the spirit of life, of the nature, it has a lot to show us. And so we always are aware that the water spirit will show you how to flow in life. It will show you how not to get stuck or damned, damned up and stopped and to become stagnant. You continue to flow and you continue to be open. So there's a lot of these things that have been woven into the story that come from our teachings that we've received from our elders too. Yeah. Wow. Sorry, I was just going to say, I'm really glad that you raised that point. Um, That was something I'd wanted to say is one of the fundamental aspects of the story is that these animals communicating with Alex mm-hmm. or communicating with, communicating with people represents the alarms being sounded by nature that we see everywhere yeah. right now. Yeah, totally. Like that was what came to mind as well when Chanel was talking about like her experience with the book. And there's a part in the book where Alex is kind of baffled that Chinese able to talk to the duck and she's like how are you even doing that how are you speaking that language but i think we all have it in us to be able to communicate with nature or connect with nature and understand what they're trying to tell us i mean in the most like basic way we can see that in our relationship with the dogs right like aren't we communicating with them but we're not using the same language in a sense And I also believe we can communicate with trees as well. So I really love the emphasis of how connection also includes communication with nature. And throughout the book, it's, you know, when Alex is being guided through that journey, she's being asked, like, observe what's around you. Just stop for a moment and listen and watch. Right. And we just don't do that enough or at all these days. And I think that's what has, in a sense, like severed or really hurt our relationship with nature. Because like you all were saying, we were born with these memories, with these connections to nature. And I think as we get older, we've been socialized away from nature which takes us away from our essence of who we really are, which is kind of sad. (laughs) But this book is a reminder of that. Yeah, and I was going to say, so we mentioned how Indigenous cultures, one of the defining things about, about Indigenous cultures is that way of living with the environment to ensure eternal survival. And so the thing that people need to think about, though, 
is that as people of all backgrounds, all races, all cultures, you know, human beings are hunter-gatherers. So at some point, everyone's ancestors were entombed the way we're describing. They right. were also hunter-gatherer societies. They could hear the messages from their environment, from their world. They could read the weather, the animals of their region. Everyone at some point was entombed in that way that ensured longevity of their people. And then it began to rapidly change. And here we are today. Yeah. There was an element of the book or a part of the book or the story where it was kind of getting like sad because, you know, Shiny was walking her through all of the horrible pollution, the pipe, like the dumping of toxic agents into the water, into the air. And I was like, oh man, like this is something that I feel like I carry with myself a lot. But at the end of the day, I appreciated, or I guess I don't want to give my side of it, but like, how did you all like balance that with our responsibility as humans to like, I don't know, process that negative impact? How do you balance that negative information with action, but also responsibility and accountability? We did think a lot about that. And we both felt that we have to look at this because it's right. It's happening. It's been happening. And there's nothing wrong with awareness. We don't need to be afraid. We need to recognize what's going on and realize that we still have the power to change the situation. But just turning our backs and being afraid to look at the truth is not going to help us overcome anything. And I think whether it's the environment or whether it's within yourself, facing the reality of what's going on, whether it's within you or around you, is part of the healing that we all came here to do. Mm -hmm. And now, perhaps, if we can come together in a bigger way and recognize our common humanity, we can see that together we can make these changes. And that we're all on the same planet. We're all on the same precious earth. And I hope that we can recognize it in time. But Keith and I just felt a a real responsibility. Like we have a voice and we're taught that you use your voice in a way that's helpful, in a way of being of service and using whatever it is that you have. Maybe you don't know all the answers, but at least speak up, at least say something and help to plant new seeds or awaken other people who might be on the verge of that same thought to say, hey, you know, it doesn't have to be dreadful. It's going to be dreadful if we don't do anything. It's already dreadful for so many people around the planet. And I think that with our children, again, we can come back to the hope and they automatically are hopeful creatures, our children, yeah, (laughs) right? They don't have the same heaviness when there's a heaviness they're more resilient and they can move through things. So it's like, let's be hopeful for our children and let's talk to them about what is really happening so that we can come up with some changes and solutions that can ensure that they can have a good life and that their children and so on, their grandchildren, great-grandchildren can have a good life. And teaching them, it's good to face reality. It's okay. You know, Don't be afraid. Don't turn your back. Look at it. This is how we're going to learn something. So it doesn't have to be about all the people saying, oh, that's too much. It's too negative. It's like, it's happening. Let's look at it. Yeah. I don't know. Keith, what do you think? (laughs) Yeah, really good points. And that's something that we were 
really aware of as we wrote this is that, you know, it's reality and it's such a heavy topic and it's even a controversial topic. And it can be really frightening to teach kids about this stuff. But like Shanoa said, it can't be ignored. We're all, we're living it now and it's going to get worse. It can't be ignored. Kids have to know and because they will know regardless. So what, in terms of the balance, one of the things we focused on doing was, is the way I put it is kind of gently opening the door to the issue for kids. Like Sapna, you mentioned, you know, there are things that are kind of depressing and heavy in there, but we tried to introduce a few things, you know, a few current environmental crises and things that are going on, but with humor and definitely with hope that there are things you can do. You know, a young reader is now starting the journey to learning more about it. And as they grow and learn more, they'll start figuring out more things they can do, you know, share information with other people. But yeah, it is a scary topic for kids. And so we were aware of just making that introduction. These things are happening. And then hopefully they'll be inspired to learn more as they mature. Yeah. I've not read very many like children's books that are based on environmental values or issues, right? And whenever we do talk about environmental issues, it's always like from the perspective of like overly positive, like what's great about nature or it's just like doom and gloom. This is the stuff we're destroying. So I really did appreciate that balance of appreciating what nature gives us and how we should try to connect with her more. Yeah, this is the reality. There's one part or quote from this book that I wanted to share that kind of honed in on it. It's where you say, if we do not learn about everything we face in life, both good and bad, light and dark, then we're ignoring the truth. To look at the world honestly is to see the difficulty that is there. And I think that was in a way comforting for me because I'm like, all right, we just have to be honest with ourselves about what's going on, but not dwell so much on that negative. And I feel like as adults, we just tend to do that more. And then the positivity also came up when Alex was saying like, towards the end of the book, there was becoming more solutions oriented, I believe. And this part where she says one smart step and the next will come much easier, but it hardly seems easy and it seems too late. That's how I think, at least I think that way. Sometimes it feels too late. It's not easy enough, but it's just that one small step that we have to start with. And it really does make a difference. Right, right. It it does often feel like it's too late. And I think the way to look at it is, I mean, we do know there are things that that are going to happen regardless of the changes we make right now. I mean, there are going to be sacrifices that human beings on the planet, all of us are going to have to make, whether we like it or not. And there are going to be things that we're going to have to fight through to survive. But I think the way of looking at it is, and this is, you know, again, something that hopefully kids take away from the story and the message becomes more solidified as they continue to learn more, is that like Shiny said, the quote that you read that he says, you know, basically, but you have to start now. Now is the starting point and we have right. to do what we can do. So even though there are environmental things that are going to be really tough, I mean, we are going to face species extinction to some degree. Even though those things are tough, I think what the focus is, 
is to say what you can to ensure it doesn't keep getting worse, to slow the course and then eventually stop certain environmental disasters. The term you always hear are tipping points that we reach. So right. even though things will be difficult, there are going to be many losses. The more we do, the more we can slow it down and possibly stop or reverse some things. But it's yeah. going to take a lot of work globally. Mm-hmm. I think another thing that's really important is just being positive within ourselves and teaching children how to create that positivity and see the big picture, but also always know that there's positive and a negative to everything and that you can go with the side of the negative, but that just keeps perpetuating negativity. And if you go with the side of the positive, then you can actually create beyond your wildest dreams, especially in harmony with others. I think we have tremendous power, each of us, to decide how things are going to go and to set our minds and to set our hearts. And when it's something that really comes from a place of care and love and respect, that it has more power because, again, then you have all the nature with you and all the ancestors with you saying, Mm -hmm. yes, that's the right way. And so I think even though it's going to be hard, for instance, when you lose a loved one, at some point of your life where there's a big loss, there's always a big teaching that comes with it too. And you value life more because you realize that it's not just given to you and handed to you endlessly. You can't take it for granted. There's a limit and our life goes quickly, you know? And so what are we going to do with our lives? Are we going to sit back and do nothing and watch as everything goes down? Are we going to rise to our best of who we are because we all have so much goodness and potential and beauty and bring it forward and then give it everything and know that at the end of our life, we did our best and that some way it's going to be rewarded because I think we're here to evolve and to learn and to grow. And so I feel like we had a big lesson with the pandemic. Mm -hmm. And we all had to stay home for two years almost and isolate and nature came back. Nature flourished in our absence and showed that she can regenerate and that the animals and all the, the wildlife and the oceans can regenerate. I was even over in Hawaii and saw that after two years of no tourism, the coral reefs started coming back and they were all little small coral reefs. and then. It opened up again and then all the sunscreen and all the people and all the, and then it kills it off again. So it's us and our actions and finding a way to respect nature and the earth wherever we are, not just at our own house, but to know that this planet, everything is circulating. Nothing is just the United States or Canada or Europe. Our waterways have been traveling around the earth since the beginning of time. Uh, They don't know borders. Nature does not have borders. Nature does not put itself in a box. People put themselves in a box. And then we look in a small world and we see this is our world and this is what we understand. Therefore, there must not be anything beyond that. Yeah, This could be an opportunity for us to break through some of those smaller visions of what we understand and recognize that our mother earth has been here for billions of years and this is a sacred thing to be alive and through the hardship it's going to show us 
maybe bring us to our knees in many instances. But when you're brought to your knees, that's when you really learn something because everything is making you look and making you feel. And so it's powerful. So there's something positive to be learned from everything and having our kids be hopeful, teach them how to be hopeful and grateful for what they have and really appreciate the small things in life, not needing so much to consume and consume and consume because happiness is really comes from inside. It doesn't come from the amount of goods that you have acquired. And so there's so much we can do and the positivity is really important. Teaching our children to be positive. Yeah, hopeful. I know we talk about how this book is like a children's book, but I felt like this is a story for me to like, I also enjoyed reading or just reconnecting with, or it just recentered me as well in my own environmental work. So yeah, even though it's for children, I would highly recommend that also adults read it. There's so many quotes that I was getting, Chanel, as you were talking. The first was when you were talking about how, you know, should we just sit back and do nothing? And it reminded me of a quote that I read today from, I have this calendar of quotes that I was gifted to me. And this one's from Stacey Abrams. It says, when we show up and act boldly and practice the best ways to be wrong, we feel forward. No matter where we end up, we've grown from where we began. and that's kind of what you were talking about, you know, in terms of like the action that you and Keith were trying to instill in the book. And then the other quote was in your book where nature will kind of take care of herself. Like she'll find a way to thrive and survive. Hopefully if we don't like completely destroy her, but the quote here is the pathways of water often change, but they often find the best direction. And that's something that gave me a sense of hope of if we just can evolve to go back to our old ways of just kind of like stepping back and letting nature just kind of take course of things. I feel like that's one of our best solutions to all the the disasters that we're experiencing currently. And then the last quote, which I really love, it's in the beginning of the book. I'm a water person, so I really loved the other element of this book. And it's when the whale mother is talking to the baby whale who's shiny, right? She says, the spirit of the ocean moves within every drop of water, traveling the globe within the largest and smallest of currents. It lives within the bubbling, rolling waves within the sea foam on the still surface and down into the deepest trenches carved in the ocean floor. And it has witnessed your happiness and your reactions to the bad things you have seen when you looked upon the many threats to life in the ocean. It has seen that you are not disheartened and do not give up in the face of difficulty and challenge. So it speaks to just the spirit, the power of water and how we're all connected to the ocean. Like it was making that really minute connection between ocean and us and water. Yeah, as a water person, this was like one of my favorite parts or quotes from the book. Yeah, and that reminded me also one of the really important, one of the foundational things of the story is Shiny talked and his, his mother talks about this and then Shiny talks about it with Alex is the pathways of water and how everything is connected evaporation, clouds, right. you know, rivers, watersheds into the ocean. 
and then he talks about how humans are disrupting these paths. So yeah, that what you just said reminded me of that important fundamental piece of the story is how all of it is connected and not to think of a, a negative fact again, but one of the things that always pops in my head was some research I read where a pesticide used in the American Carolinas, I think South Carolina, or don't quote me on the state, but one of the used in some of the Southern states was found in the flesh of cod in the Arctic. So wow. that just gives you an example of Like Chanel was saying, there are no borders. Right. And it's just like all connected, right? And it reminded me that there is a part of the ocean in each one of us. And even though I live in a landlocked state, Columbus, Ohio, like the water that I drink does have a part of the ocean in it and therefore a part of me. And therefore, I am part of that global ecosystem, right? So... I really did appreciate that nuance and that direct connection that you're making between water and our existence. Hey all, thanks for listening to Breaking Green Ceilings. If you'd like to hear more episodes with change-making environmentalists, head on over to watersavvysolutions.com backslash podcast. You can find me online on Instagram and Twitter. And as always, if you love the show, please don't forget to subscribe, rate, and like on iTunes. You can also sign up for my newsletter to find out when new episodes are available. And please do share the podcast with your family, friends, colleagues, and whoever you think will be inspired by the wisdom of our change makers. I always welcome feedback, so please do feel free to reach out to me. My contact information is also on watersavvysolutions.com. Until next time, keep breaking through those green ceilings.